everyone. Welcome to The Reason We Learn. I'm your host, Deb Philman. At The Reason We Learn, we aspire to be part of the solution. The purpose of this show is to take a good, honest, potentially painful look at the way kids are being educated. We know we can do better, and this is where we'll talk about how. Let's learn something. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Reason We Learn. I'm your host, Deb Philman. Thank you for joining me today for a conversation with a microschool founder. I'm so excited. Um, a lot of you have asked me to bring people on the channel who have actually started microschools, who are, you know, making the solutions. And um, I'm really, really excited um, to have a woman here who's going to do that. Her name is Mercedes. And Hang on one second. I'm going to stop this. Tell me your name again. I got the first name and not the last name. I'm going to okay. edit this out. Mercedes Grant. I thought so. Okay. Okay. I'm going to pop out again. I'm going to have to edit this. <laughs> okay. That's okay. Welcome everyone to The Reason We Learn. Thank you for joining me today for a conversation with Mercedes Grant. She is the founder of a micro school. I know a lot of you have been asking me to bring people on the channel who are building the solutions that you need to address the problems that I'm highlighting here. And so you you ask, you receive. So Mercedes is here to talk to us about that. If it's your first time here, I hope you will consider subscribing so you can be notified when I make new content, especially shows like this one. The goal is for this to be a meeting place, a town hall of sorts, where people who want to improve education in America come to hear ideas, share their own, and it's a place where diversity of thought is not only welcome, but championed. So you needn't agree with me or Mercedes, but I do hope you will listen to what we have to say and what's going on and you know decide for yourself. So I've invited Mercedes here to talk to us about starting a micro school. We're going to spend some time talking about why she did it, like what compels her to do it. And then we'll go into the tactical reasons, or I'm sorry, the tactical steps of opening um, a micro school, what you need to know to do it. So without further ado, please help me welcome Mercedes Grant. Hi, Mercedes. Thank you so much. Hi, Deb. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so super welcome. duper excited to be here and just to share um, my passion and kind of my journey with you. I'm very excited. So um, we talked briefly before starting this that you are an active duty military spouse and that you left uh, teaching in the public school. You taught in four states and moved to Virginia and, you know, decided like, I'm going to start a micro school. So help us, like, tell us a little bit more about your story of um, you know, how long you were teaching, what grades you taught and what um, kind of what motivated you to decide I'm going to quit and I'm going to start my own school. Oh, sure. Um, so my journey began kind of trying to figure out. So I've always been dedicated and passionate about youth. And I was like, okay, I know God wants me to do something with at-risk kids, people, anything. So I got this original job back in a very small rural town in Kentucky. And I worked through a grant program teaching kids English. And 
it was just, you know, the basics of, of English because their scores were really low at that school. And so I got hired on to teach. I never taught before. I was just finishing my bachelor's degree and they said, oh, you're fantastic for this. Let's have you teach these kids. So I was like, okay, let's do it. Well, the grant was only six months long. And um, the school that I was teaching at just had such a high rate of poverty and, and I could not teach with the bachelor's degree that I had. So I decided, okay, I am going to, I was actually hired on with that school district as the in-school suspension instructor. So for two years, I sat with some of the most at-risk, special needs, um, lots and lots of social, emotional behavior, academic challenge children. And I got my master's degree in special education while I did that. And I began teaching. I, I taught for six and a half years. Um, I taught in Tennessee. I taught in Alabama. I, and then finally, I ended my teaching, my public school teaching career in Maryland. I don't know if you've heard about Montgomery County Public Schools, but oh, that's yes. where I was for three years. <laughs> um, and that was kind of the icing on the cake for me to just say, you know, this is not working for me and it's not working for, for my youngest child either. Um, so I decided it was time to walk away. Right. And how many children do you have? I have two. I have a 16 year old. Um, he is in 11th grade and he would have been very sad if I would have pulled him out of high school to uh, to learn at home with me. Um, but then I also have a daughter who is almost eight years old. Okay. All right. So, wow, that's like two, two, uh, two ends of the spectrum. There are half yes, the age. Yes. Um, so talk to us a little bit about what you saw, I mean, you were teaching, as you point out, you were teaching the most at-risk kids, kids with special needs, kids with behavior challenges. Um, the kids sometimes described as the kids no one wants to teach. I mean, you know, that's those, let's be honest, those are the kids that teachers, especially new teachers, and you went into it pretty much straight away, new teachers are terrified to teach that because that requires a level of patience and skill and and uh, all the, you know, all the things you would expect to come with experience um, and to be thrown into that as a new teacher, that's pretty tough. So you've, you've, you've had a sort of a trial by fire, but what made you decide, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to go start my own school, which has its own challenges. You know, now you're all alone and potentially doing some of the same things. What, what was it that you saw that you, you know, that you liked? What didn't you like? Like, you know, what was going on with that? Sure. Well, Deb, to be honest, I was working across, you know, these different states and I tell people it wasn't the same issues, but the issues still existed across the board that were not okay with me. Um, some of the some of the educators, the negative talk about these children that had challenges, um, the curriculum was awful. Uh, the curriculum, I was a math teacher. I was uh, special education in the middle school setting. So I, I taught math for most of those years. And with a little bit of English 
you know, in there also, but the curriculum was so stuck. I felt like I was stuck teaching something, teaching in ways that were not compatible with student learning. And, you know, that was one of the first things that I saw that was just really tough. And then being a special educator, you have typically two adults, two uh, certified teachers in the room. And the way that they float special educators around and they don't necessarily treat us as uh, respected teachers um, who are certified to teach subjects, and I'm also certified to teach math, that was very difficult because every time I would change schools or I would change even from classroom to classroom being at the same school, it was as though the expectations were different depending on the expertise or the opinion of the teacher. And then finally, when I got to Montgomery County in Maryland, um, the things that we were being told to teach or to discuss with the students, the staff uh, meetings, I moved into leadership rather quickly. And the things that we were required to say to the staff and the, the conversations that we were required to have um, with the students and, and the pandemic, I'm, it was just enough to say, all right, I, I can't feed into this anymore. This is not a natural way of encouraging learning through our children. Uh, but those are some of the key pieces. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, there are so many things um, that were happening behind the scenes with behaviors within the classrooms is even someone like me, I came into I want to say I came into the game already with some experience. I was an at-risk child growing up. And so I have that natural ability to kind of connect with those children. But it still wasn't enough to have children that were displaying some inappropriate behaviors within the classroom. And, and there wasn't really anybody that could support in a way that says, hey, like, this is not okay. We still have to offer a safe space for learning for all children, even if there are some at-risk children in this classroom as well. Right. So you felt, it sounds like you felt like your work was very proscribed. Like you will say this, you won't say that, you will do this, you won't do that. Almost like you're one of the kids yourself, you know, like where you're yes. feeling like, wait a minute, I'm a professional and I have, I bring some expertise to this and wouldn't it be better to ask me why I want to do X or ask me what I think will work. And we have a dialogue rather than, you know, somebody coming in and telling you how to do your job. And then you get to sit back and watch it not work. Am I sort of accurately Absolutely. summing that up? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And that's and, and uh, frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. It is very frustrating. And then to, to watch it also be imposed on my own child. Um, you know, I, grew up a lot in these past eight years, uh, nine years since being in education and watching that kind of transpire, not only with my son, but I was kind of ignorant back then. You know, I was I was a young parent and I saw some things that were happening and I was like, this is really strange, but I'm going to go with it and I'm going to be a supportive parent like most of us are. But then as I started to see being a teacher, what was really happening and what what was being lost, it started mm -hmm. to really, really shout at me like this is this is not how it should be. Well, I mean, you also have to let yourself off the hook in the sense that it's not like the school and the teachers and the whole administration, everything is coming out and presenting an honest front to you. 
um, parents are often kept at arm's length or they're shown a sort of dog and pony show of what it's going to be. Um, the language around education in America from school system to parent tends to be, we love children and we care and it's, oh, and we have to nurture and we have to grow and all these things and we want to provide a safe place. So that coupled with the fact that most parents don't feel like they have a lot of options and in the sense that if you feel like you, whether it's true or not, if you feel like you have to use the school as not only the means of education, but your daycare, your, you know, it's like, this is what I've ordered my life around this structure. And then you're going to drop your precious baby there for the day. There's a certain amount of cognitive dissonance. If you allow anything negative in, like you don't want to, you're, you're predisposed. It doesn't make you a bad person. We all do this. We all want to believe Like we go to the doctor and we suspend we have to go with faith. Like you actually want to heal me. We don't walk in going, how many different ways do you want to hurt me? That's <laughs> you know, like, yes. and it's the same thing with school. Like we drop our kids off. And the last thought on your mind is, are these people for real or is this fake? And so, and then you look around too and you see your peers and you see everybody else and everybody goes, teachers, heroes, wonderful. It's amazing. And so you're inclined to go, I want to believe that. So I will believe that Absolutely. because I have to believe that because I don't really have much of a choice. I don't have any like anything to indicate it's not true, nothing mm -hmm. hard, nothing tangible. And everybody else seems okay with it. It's got to be okay, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you being on the inside of the system, you got a bird's eye view of the things that weren't so okay or didn't match the message really. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the struggles that my generation has is that we – we drop our kids off and we hope we, we tell each other, you know, everybody posts their pictures on Facebook and we say, Oh, I hope they have the best year. I hope they have a good teacher. And the thing that is the huge disconnect for me is, is that hope worth it? Is it worth it to hope that your own child that you could prevent from going into this system and having this toxic socialization and having any negative experiences that do happen. I mean, there is proof that things that are really, really bad are happening. And we, we have this hope and it's almost a false hope nowadays. Like we, we want things to go well and we really hope that our kids will have the good teacher this year, but we really truly as parents, when we have concerns, we're treated as the enemy, you know, especially if it's something where we come and we ask like, hey, what happened? Because my son or my daughter told me this. What what really happened? And then all of a sudden you, you know, things are not all safe and happy. And so things are definitely changing. Deb, I think one of the things for, again, my generation of people is to to realize that there are so many other educational choices out there. I think that as we grow and as educators leave and as we create these new places of learning, people will feel more comfortable outside of that norm of just trusting in people to take care of your children that you've never met before and trust in school systems and and strangers to essentially take care of your children and spend more time with your children than, than we do. That's such a good point that I, I love what you said about where, you know, is the hope worth it? Um, because first of all, you point out that it is largely hope or a kind of faith rather than 
facts. I mean, we look at the test results, we look at all the, the scores, we look at everything. We don't really have a lot of evidence that we drop off our six-year-old and 13 years later, we're going to get back, you know, a kid that is just as happy-go-lucky and excited to learn and everything as they were when we left them there. Never mind that their skills will match what that 13 years was supposed to be. Um, but when you said, it really touched me when you said that um, we're, we're trusting and hoping that the system will do it. And there's so many more avenues. I think, and probably you would agree with this, that we need to start looking at the segment of parenting that involves the education our kids get in a similar way to how we choose our pediatrician or how we choose our babysitters or how we choose, um, you know, even their extracurricular activities or like, you know, our friends or, a you know, the church that we go to or don't go to, whatever, that we make so many choices for our children, even what we feed them on a daily basis. And I think most parents, caring parents, put thought into that. Um, even if the thought is like, well, my budget is this. I'm going to try to find the most healthful meals I can for this budget. You're still putting more thought into that than to just take them over to what, what does my zip code go? Okay, we go here. Let's go. And that's not to say that parents did something, you know, bad or wrong or unexpected. We were socialized to do that. We were told that was the good and right and proper thing to do. And I think what's happening now is people are realizing that maybe not. Maybe that was that was too much to hope for, and I need to take that part of parenting back and and figure out those choices myself. Um, and that kind of brings that maybe I'm, I'm guessing that brought you to the the idea that you were going to start your own school, right? That you thought oh, I can do this better. Absolutely. Um, and I had spent so much of my early adulthood really trying to work up to this sense of who am I? And I'm a product of a public school system. And I graduated high school and I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't know who I was. And it took me several years to really grasp what is my passion and what am I doing here? And you know, it slowly moved into that, but absolutely, I I am getting ready to finish my doctoral studies, hopefully in December. And it's so strange because my son is going to be graduating in two years and I'm not even pushing him to go to college. Like it's, it's just such a, it's our norm is changing right in front of our eyes. And I decided, you know, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to dedicate my life to my children even more than I have before. I'm going to open my eyes a little bit more to what's happening in this world. The pandemic the pandemic definitely helped with that, right? We can all agree that that was a, a life-changing time for all of us, an eye-opening time for all of us. Um, so many things were brought to the table, and so many things have changed that it was okay for me to finally say like, I'm going to do something totally different. And I, I had always known I wanted to open up my own school. My family has history of doing that. And um, it's just such an incredible thing. But it was always like in the way future. And now we're here. And I literally listened to a podcast one day in March. And I decided that day, this is it. I'm not doing this anymore because it just became not worth it. And the things, the things that I had to 
do within the public school system, especially in Montgomery County. I know I've heard some of your podcasts about being woke and they really, really wanted me to um, conform to that. And it, and I just didn't want that for my own children. And I didn't want that for me. And it just wasn't, you know, not, it wasn't comfortable. What did they say to you to the extent that they were aware of you not being comfortable, what what did they say to you either to try to make you feel comfortable or just to try to get you to do it? Or didn't oh, they? Oh, goodness. I don't even know where to start. Um, it was quite the journey. To be honest, um, there were so many things. We had to read scripts. It, we were teaching um, anti-racism and, you know, they were trying to persuade me that I am a racist person. Um, I'm in an interracial marriage and my children are both biracial. And they were trying to convince me that even though that might be true, I am a racist and I'm inherently racist because of be you know me being white and um one day it was funny because we were talking about this as a school and with this was all over zoom and this is in one of the most diverse districts in the nation and a man who he was probably about 70 years old he was um getting close to retirement if not already past retirement and he was an African-American man and he spoke up and he said, I don't want to teach like this. I don't want to consider race when children walk into my classroom. I want to teach to the child. I want to teach based on what a child needs. I would never turn a child away or treat them any differently based on race. And we had a big meeting. Um the leadership team had a big meeting about it and, and each of us had to go back to our grade levels and we had to read a script about how that man is, is so wrong and how we have to conform to this um, wokeism about, you know, being an anti-racist school system and, and really getting into this systemic racism that exists and, we have to consider race because all children of color have been traumatized based on their race. And it was, you know, that's one of many, many things that they, they did to make sure that I knew and that we all knew our place and that we were not allowed to speak out because if we did, we would get called in front of the entire faculty. Um, we would get called out and corrected in, in front of everyone. That is so, so disturbing to me on so many levels. Um, it is a form of abuse. That's a toxic workplace um, because now we're talking not about your professional capabilities. We're not talking about whether you're doing, you know, the job well, according to the job description or anything. We're, now we're talking about who you are as a person and your employer is deciding that they get to decide what kind of person you are soup to nuts based purely on the color of your skin. And this is, this is beyond even, this is kind of beyond your garden variety bigotry where somebody just says, I assume you're this, that, or the other couple of characteristics because of the color of your skin. This is somebody saying, if you don't agree with me and do what I say, you're just a bad person. And that, and that even if you do agree with me and do what I say, you're doing it 
as your penance for being a bad person. It's not like that now makes you a good person. That's, that's the minimum penance you have to do to not be bad. And what's so bizarre to me is I'm picturing this gentleman you described and his age range of 70. And in all likelihood, he probably has more of a claim to having been traumatized as a child because of his race than any child alive today, even a black child. And I was always taught, including by, you know, therapists I might have gone to see that one of the things that people who've been traumatized for real and have come through it understand is that you never want to traumatize another person, like you're even that much more sensitive to it. So if somebody has been racist towards you, typically you kind of know that you're through your trauma because you wouldn't want to judge them similarly, even if they look just like the person that traumatized you. Like you understand that's a separate individual than the person who did it to me. You have compartmentalized and dealt with and coped with your trauma. That's kind of how you know you're healthy. And then you can say, I'm not going to carry this around with me my whole life such that I look at someone and they look similar in some superficial way. I'm going to revenge. You know, I'm going to get it to them. So the whole idea of saying that black children are traumatized, therefore we need to treat white children as oppressors is you're basically giving yourself permission to traumatize white children. Absolutely. And you're saying that black children don't need to overcome that alleged trauma. They can live there. They can stay there. They can live there. They can hang out there. That can be their trauma can be their identity. And both of those things, one is downright cruel and abusive and actually creates the problem you claim you want to prevent. And then the second one is abusive in a different way because you're enabling someone to, if they're not already mentally disturbed to become that to never actually mature and grow and learn the healthy thought processes of a healthy person. So they were basically asking you to abuse children. Absolutely. Is how I sum it up. Yes. And that is, and that was the way that it was going to be. And I told them one day because we had a a meeting regarding the insurrection and they were talking about people in the Republican party um, just as conservatives and how we were so divisive. And I decided that day to take notes because it was so, I was so disgusted. Um, it was a, supposed to be a book club meeting that we were all going to. We were all required to go to it in lieu of a faculty meeting. And so we're there and they're saying things like, this is the divide of the United States. These people do not care about other people. Um, Conservative people are evil. They're walking around with tinfoil hats on. Um, there were so many disgusting things that were said. And and I just finally interrupted the meeting and I said, I'm sorry, is this a book club or is this an anti-Republican meeting? And they wanted to know what I meant by that. And I and I told them kind of like I told complicated. you, like, <laughs> this, you know, I'm really confused. And I said, you know, my husband and I are both conservative and, and he's a, a black man and he serves this country. I've never I've just never I was shocked because I was still very new to Montgomery County and I just didn't understand where all of this was coming from. And I didn't realize at the time that there was so much hate. And from then on, um, people refused to acknowledge my presence and my existence within that school. 
uh, and I ended up having to go to a union rep who did not hear me or listen to me. I was very concerned uh, what was going to happen after that. And um, fortunately, I, I left that school and went to another one because I was um, just by the end, it was that time, you know, when you when you have spoken up and you're like, this is not OK with me. I'm going to challenge this this belief system and that you have. Um, that's like you said before, it's not based on truth or fact. Right. It's just right. a, you know, a thought process that these people really wanted to hear themselves speak um, exactly. And talk about feelings. And, and I just wasn't there for that. And Deb, that's one of the things that you mentioned is that it wasn't focused. We weren't focused on the kids anymore. It wasn't a focus on how we can, you know, better our profession and how I can be a better math teacher, a better leader, uh, a better educator. How can I build relationships with children? It was all based on race and gender ideology. And it was, it was just disturbing the way that the entire thing played out and it didn't allow us to be professionals and to, and to love children like I was intended to do. Like that's, I feel like that's my calling from God was to be here and to communicate um, a love of learning and build relationships. And it, it just, was so far from that anymore that it, right. it was really, really sad. And there were so many educators that were the same as me. There are still so many educators that feel stuck. There are so many parents that feel stuck. And I thank God that I was able to just walk away. And it was a no brainer for me. But people are really, really worried about their pension or their years in service, or what do I do? How can I afford to send my child to a micro school or a private school? What options are out there? Um, there are some real gen, you know, genuine concerns and worries, but I think that people just like I did need to go ahead and just jump. Uh, it's not as scary as it seems. You know, mm -hmm. scarier for me is to trust people that aren't going to do good things with my children and to trust other children in the public school system that are having very, very minimal consequences for doing things that are not appropriate in a school setting. Right. Or any setting for that matter. Any setting. You're absolutely <laughs> right. right. I mean, yeah. we talk about that a lot. Like this isn't appropriate school. Like, you know what? This isn't even appropriate for the middle of the park. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> like, you'd be standing absolutely. in the middle of the park and this would not be okay. Uh, there's really no setting where this kind of talk or this kind of behavior is okay. And when you talk about that, and I like to do things like that to say like, you know, it's not okay anywhere or whatever, because then people realize how incredibly bad it is in the setting where it is because the school is where, as you point out, you're supposed to be learning. And there are enough things that kids, especially at-risk kids, have to worry about in a given day um, that could potentially get in the way of their learning. And what's ironic is the same people pushing you to treat these kids in a way that you didn't think was healthy will be the first ones to say these kids are dealing with this and they're dealing with that. And, oh, and this, they got to be ready to learn. And, and it's like, well, you would think if you already knew that about children, that there's a readiness that they have to have, that they have to feel uh, safe enough to pay attention, that you would have more strict discipline or that you would allow teachers to be professionals and run their classrooms or that you would not lead with, I can't, 
you know, not from the teachers, but, but for the student, you know, that the, the words I can't would not be in anybody's vocabulary. It would be like, you can. And you know what, even if everything were true, even if this were the most racist white supremacist nation on planet earth, you're here now you're in the school with a teacher who cares about you and books you can learn to read and math you can learn to do and skills you can develop. And it's really not a matter of who's letting you. It's who's going to stop you. Absolutely. And that power is in you. <sighs> That's not, nobody's going to take that from you. So you think like they're saying, we want to help these kids. Like then get out of their way Yes, <laughs> because they're sitting things up to be in their way. So I'm, <sighs> I'm, so tell us about, so the, it's pretty clear why you decided to jump. It seems like, you know, there wasn't a lot there at, at that point besides maybe pension and years or whatever that, to keep you. However, um, what a lot of people wonder about is starting at the beginning, what is a micro school? How do you get per permission to open one? Do you need permission to open one? What kind of person can open a micro school? How many kids is it? I mean, like all the tactical things like, what can you tell us about that process? Because you said you listened to a podcast, you decided to jump, and then now you just had your first day, right, of school? Yes, yes. Okay, so catch okay. us up to that. How did that all happen? So this is, um, this is the coolest experience ever. Like I said, I knew, I knew I needed to get out. I knew that something big was coming. I put on this, this podcast – Teacher Let Your Light Shine. She has a podcast that literally breaks down every single step of the way of how to have a homeschooling business. And so many of us, we're all kind of a cohort that are that down. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I typed in something about like quit teaching. And I started doing and I started hearing like ed tech and things like that. And I'm like, no, I don't really want to get out of the teaching part of it, because that's where my passion is. I mean, you can probably tell I'm, I'm exciting and I like being in front of the kids and animated and things like that. So yeah, I found this podcast and she just, you know, I think I listened to episode two and she's like, you can do it. You can leave. And I'm like, I text my sister and my best friend and I'm like, I'm done. I am quitting. Uh, this is it. I put in my resignation like two days later. I said, I'm just done. I feel so excited. So basically, the podcast tells you exactly what you need to do. I put in a notice of intent here in my new state in Virginia and to homeschool, right? And so a micro school is like a one room schoolhouse. It's right here in my formal living and dining room. I actually hired an interior designer because I wanted this, you know, I had this vision of a school yeah. in my mind, uh, but different than a classroom. Um, it's it's multi-grade. So you can kind of choose whatever you want if you're a micro school owner. Um, and I chose kindergarten through fifth grade because I knew I was going to be new here. And I kind of wanted to see where we are in Virginia and how things are kind of going. So I decided to go kindergarten through fifth grade. And I put in a notice of intent with my state, with my district, um, where my daughter would go to school. And I said, hey, I'm going to homeschool her. I'm a certified teacher. And I am. This is what we're going to learn this year. Right. Um, I should have put all the things like sign language and Spanish and guitar, but I didn't right. want to, I didn't want to brag too much, but 
Um, it is, I want to keep my school very small. I want to enroll no more than seven children, including my daughter. Um, and that way, I mean, individualized, hands-on, curated just for these kids. It was honestly, the dream is, is so big that it was so easy for me to do. Um, it was really, I went out and I, I got an LLC and I got some general liability insurance. I put together this awesome brochure and, and handbook and things like that. But it was, it was lots and lots of research. I did a, a lot of research to make sure that I was going to make this happen, that I could make it happen. And then I moved here a month ago. And while my cohort has, they have waiting lists. Um, their micro schools are, are booming. These, these are popping up everywhere. It's a super wow. exciting thing to have. I, because I just moved here, I'm still getting to know the area and the people. And so we're still working on building the relationships and kind of getting people familiar. Like, what is this? Um, because like I said, it's, it's more of that comfort zone that people are either homeschooling and they feel like no one can touch my babies or they are in the public school system. And they're like, I don't even know that this exists. So I'm still working on, you know, finding those people that will say, ah, this micro school is a, is a solution to a huge problem that we have here. And let's go ahead and, and take advantage of this because it is such an incredible experience to have children learning joyfully rather than conformity, you know, and rather than, compulsory education where they have to sit in a desk for eight, seven to eight hours a day. I mean, there's no joy in that. No. And so did you, did you work with the woman who had the podcast? Did you, did she like coach you or help you or did you able, were you able to self direct through all this process? Well, we, I had a meeting with her. She did um, give me, I signed up for a one-on-one -on -one with her for one hour to just kind of build a vision and say like, okay, what are the things that I need to do? Um, but we're part of a group on Facebook and we all just kind of encourage each other and ask questions. Um, I will say that I think it's HSLDA. Yep. The website, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, that was very, very helpful because the laws are different in different states uh, as far as what you can do. Um, but there are so many ways around it to be able to have a homeschooling business. It is There are so many opportunities out there. I think that people that really, truly want to break away are going to be so encouraged because our nation is moving toward homeschool friendly rather than a system, you know, back in the seventies, there were only 13,000 homeschooled children and right. it was almost non-existent. They were crazy if they homeschooled. Exactly. And so now, now we've got 11%. Yeah. 11%. Yeah. It's is, great. It, it, it is. It's, it's just incredible. And I think that's what people just really need to realize that things are changing in American education for the better if you get out, if you continue to stay in, and I understand that that some people want to stay in, but 
50% of families that homeschool have children in other more traditional school settings. So that's also very interesting because while it might be just like me for my son, who's in 11th grade, it's okay for me to feel like, go ahead and finish your high school career. And, right. but then for my daughter, I'm like, well, we're definitely going to sidetrack and do something that works better for you. Well, I think that's an important point, And I, I want to dwell on that for a second because um, you've got two things going on there. First of all, every child is different, um, even within a family, which uh, again, sort of belies their whole, we can take an entire class of 30 kids and like teach them the same social and emotional learning lesson. <laughs> no, I can't take my three children. They grew up in the same house and teach character the same way. So absolutely, um, there's that. But you also have two children at very different life stages and stages of development. So the, we all know as parents and even as teachers that a lot has changed within education in the last eight years, uh, like d probably more in the last eight years than in the last 80. I mean, it's really that dramatic. Yes. Okay. And so what you're, I mean, even with my, I have one daughter who's a freshman in college, so she'll be 19 next month. And the next youngest is 16 and then 14. And even the difference between the 18 year old and the 14 year old in terms of what they got. And the eldest was homeschooled, like literal homeschooled for the first three grades and then had to go into public school. The youngest didn't get to go homeschool at all. So she went straight into kindergarten. So they both had different foundational experiences of learning to read. Then even within the school, so they both you know went to public school at the same time, but she went in at a higher grade. Her experience with the rest of public school was radically different than the youngest, even though they both kind of went in at the same time, just based on the developmental stage. She already knew how to read. She already knew how to ask questions. She already had a certain amount of history under her belt. So anybody brought up anything weird, like she would come home and say, mom, this is kind of odd. What about yeah. this? Whereas, you know, I got a second grader, like doesn't know anything. So the ability of your son to stand on his own and question the narratives or just let them slide. You just be like, whatever, teach, you know, and kind of like get through, <laughs> get through the day and do what he's got to do, read his books, do what he's, you know, do what he's got to do. And I'm not saying it's optimal, but if he's getting something else out of it and he feels like I'm still a whole person, I got this. Um, his ability to manage that is an order of magnitude better than an eight-year-old. An eight-year-old is still kind of deciding whether Santa's real, you mm -hmm. know, like, Maybe. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. Right. The, the, the kid who's a junior in high school is on into a whole other thing. And so I agree with you. I would encourage parents to keep that in mind, you know, and don't beat yourself up either way. If you're like, well, I got it. This one wants to just one more year and, but then I got a kindergartner. Um, your kids are individuals. The school's not treating them like they are. You might as well. Yes. So yes. And I, that. and the difference, I think parents know, I think parents, we deep down, we know if something's not right, if something doesn't feel right, it's not right. And fortunately, we have this transfer that we're watching occur right in front of our very own eyes right now in what's available for our children. You know, with my son, my son did not pass kindergarten, first grade, or second grade. I didn't know what was wrong. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what resources were there. I just knew that I needed to be there for him and that I needed to stand up because they kept trying to hold him back. And I said, I, could, I just don't know. Something's not right. 
We don't know what's going on. And I kept, you know, having them pass him. And we finally figured out that he had ADHD and he's worked through it and he's worked himself off of medication and he's been, he hasn't been medicated and he's passed with straight A's since fifth grade, um, which is phenomenal, but he wouldn't have been able to do that without a parent that was there to advocate for him and to support him through that, that process. But if I would have been where I am now, Right. I would have not put him through that suffering. You know, the ex- right. expectation of sitting in that desk all day and learning about things that he didn't care about and not being able to focus the same as the other children. And I think that that says a lot when we as parents look at our children and look at those individual differences and make the choices based on what we know is best for our kids. And unfortunately... Exactly. So many parents, they, they feel in a bind. And, and, you know, especially with single parents, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to have to make a choice. And there are so many parents that can't take advantage of paying for their children's education. But I think that um, parental advocacy is so important to just be able to speak up for our kids. You know, and if we do feel like we have to choose the public school system, I just highly encourage people to speak up. If something's not right in your eyes or you feel as though something is not right, I mean, you got to go there and you got to speak up because no one else is going to speak up for your child except for you. I mean, there are rare instances. Teachers are tired. They are exhausted. They are at their wits end. They are working day and night. And they're extremely tired. And so I have so many teacher friends that are in the situation where they feel so passionately about staying in the system, but they are also feeling so exhausted and they feel like their hands are tied. And it's, and it's a really sad thing to, to watch on both ends, both as a parent and as an educator, because I want to be able to support everybody, you know? Right. Um, But how are you? Sorry, how are you um, like finding the students, um, you know, like reassuring the parents that they're going to get what they need? I mean, so a lot of the questions I get when people say, well, like, what is really micro school? And like, well, it's what it sounds like. It's it's sort of like someone else is theoretically like homeschooling your children, but there, it's not you. I mean, you're, you know, there's a teacher, there's a school, there are other kids there. Uh, they may not all be the same age. It probably won't be. Um, it's small. There's a size limit. I think five. So, so most micro schools are smaller than give me a number. What would that be? Um, a class size is five to 10. I would say probably a large micro school might be 40 students, um, okay. but in several different pieces. Yeah. Okay. So they might meet at different times or whatever. Okay. Cause you have like small class groups and you'd meet, right. You're not gonna have like 40 kids in your exactly. house. Exactly. Okay. And, um, then what parents also ask is, well, did they cover all the subjects? You know, are they going to cut like, you know, and they list off all the, all the subjects and, and so they want to know that, you know, is it, I think what they're basically asking is, is it, are they recreating school in their house? Like, is that what they're doing? They're recreating school. And then correct me if I'm wrong, but the answer to that is no. (laughs) It's like the short answer is no. (laughs) You're absolutely correct. So 
Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Micro schools are exactly what the creator wants them to be. So while I might have a micro school that's K through five, you might have another micro school that's K through two. You might have another micro school that's 12 through 15. Um, it really depends on the owner of the micro school. And absolutely, we are not. We, we are mostly running from that standardized education system, from government schooling. Um, so I think that when you have a micro school, it can be anything. You have some that are forest schools where the kids spend all day outside and they dress every day to be outside, whatever, whatever the weather is. Then you have some micro schools that are full time, like a regular school day. And the kids come and they learn the different subjects, but they have a little bit more freedom and flexibility in their learning. And then you have um, some that are like mine that are shorter days. Yes, we go over some curriculum. Some don't follow a curriculum at all, um, but there's a lot more freedom. And one of the things like if you I have a wall of wonders. And one of the things I notice in the classroom is every time a kid raises their hand and they're like, Miss Grant, why is that plant over there like half dead and half alive? And then what does a, a teacher do typically? They're like, we are talking about math right now. You can't ask those questions. So I created a wall of wonders. And I'm like, that's a really cool question. You can go over and you can get a sticky note, write it down, put it on the wall of wonders, and we can explore that later. But it's built in time. And, and the things that we learn, the kids yeah. request. And I find that so beautiful to be able to use our curiosity to naturally guide the lessons. Um, and I think that parents, the way to kind of find these micro schools is to join in the homeschooling groups or to go to a group on Facebook that is, you know, for the moms in your area or a, um, a local city group and say, hey, does anybody have a micro school or a pod that they are, you know, enrolling students. And I think that's kind of where people are. I have so many people that I know personally um, that if I would have stayed in Maryland, my I would have had a waiting list. It was people are so desperate to get out of that school system there. Um, but so many people have commented on my, my post and say, Mercedes, I wish that I had that in my area so bad. I wish you could teach my kids. And I think that there are so many hidden gems. We just got to figure out how to, how to connect those dots and how to get parents to the right place. But I would definitely start with some Facebook groups and just asking like, hey, does this exist in my city? Yeah. Does this exist in a surrounding city? Because they are everywhere. And you never know, there could be a teacher or somebody like you lurking around just saying, I would love to know if there's a need for this. And I like, I will give, use myself as an example. If I knew there were a, that there was a demand um, in my area for this, I would start it tomorrow. You know, so my problem is I, you know, and I've put out feelers before locally and, but I haven't recently, it was like two years ago, I put out feelers saying, you know, does anyone want, you know, a private reading teacher, you know, somebody to teach their kids to read. If you've got preschool kids or you've got kids in the early grades and you just want a reading teacher because things are not going so well, um, that, 
I was curious, like, could I find, you know, five or six students that wanted to do it? I didn't want to do one-on-one. I wanted the kids to be together, you know, and there really was no response and people were pretty attached to their schools, but that was then. And I wonder, you know, but you just don't know, there could be somebody out there willing to do it. You could ask the question and there might be another parent who wasn't necessarily thinking about doing it. But now that they'd see their four or five people going, let me know if you find something, let me know if you find something, let me know if you find something, that person might be pushed over the edge to say, I'll do it. I I wasn't going to do it because I didn't think anybody would want it. But now that I know, so I think this is going to be a very organic thing, or at least I hope so. Um, And that's why I wanted to have you come on and talk to people because I wanted people to see a real life person who had started a micro school relatively quickly um, there will be people though, Mercedes, who are going to say, yeah, but Deb, she was a teacher. She was a teacher. And oh, so, goodness. you know, I'd like to do it, but I'm not a teacher. So I can't do it because I'm not yes. a teacher. You have and to that a teacher, is, don't you? Yes. And that is such a major concern. So I'm glad that you say that. And because wonderfully, um, my doctoral work has to do with homeschooling. And it's and it's been such an amazing thing because I started this work before I decided to open this micro school. And so it's actually opened my eyes to so many things. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I am doing some research on the outcomes for homeschoolers. And even if the parent does not have any formal education, um, post-secondary education, the students are still coming out on top. The students are still performing. I mean, it's not very hard to perform higher than the American public schooled children. They are they are not proficient in reading or math. So it's not very hard to outperform them. But you do not have to be certified. In most states, to do something like this, you do not have to be a certified teacher, especially if you're offering enrichment or a homeschooling service. Um, and it is totally possible And teachers are actually, as soon as I posted about the micro school, I actually had prior teachers reaching out to me and saying, hey, I've been thinking about doing something like this. Let's meet up. So even in the past, I've lived here for a month. I've met with four different educators that have all left teaching that are interested in doing something similar, whether it's tutoring or offering uh, assessment services. I mean, there are so many different things. So I think you're right. If we were to just ask and say, hey, this is what I'm looking for. Is anybody interested in doing this? Is anybody out there? And I'm sure even, you know, new parents, uh, a lot of these moms are like, my my kids are either very young. So I stayed at home for a few years and I don't want to go back. Or their kids are older and they went to college and they're like, I'm ready to do something different. So you're absolutely right in saying that we're here, we're out here, there are other people. I think the question just needs to be asked, where are you? Where can I find you? Um, Yeah. And I think working together. And and you might be able to do it yourself. If yes. you know, parents, um, there are a lot of experiences since I've been a teacher and I've been a lot of other things. And I, because I didn't spend very long as a classroom teacher. And so when I think back to when I started homeschooling my older two kids, um, and what skills I drew upon to do that, it was a mix. 
it was a big <laughs> mix. And I actually, even for the small amount of classroom teaching that I did, I had to unlearn that. So in other words, what you learn to be a public school classroom teacher is so fundamentally different from what you need to do to be a micro school teacher or a homeschool teacher or even a tutor that you have to set aside some of those lessons and think about, especially if it's your own children, but you think about children the way you would think about children. It's actually a lot more like being a camp counselor. Yes. <laughs> I, I hate to, I hate to, you know, if you've ever been, you know, like if you were a teenager and you were like a camp counselor or some kind of like a lifeguard or you were a babysitter or you were, you know, even if you were somebody who did, um, you know, you like waited tables or you scooped ice cream or you did mm -hmm. things like that. A lot of the skills that you might have employed being in a service industry or being in an interpersonal relationship oriented job. Um, are probably going to serve you better than if you had been a classroom teacher, yeah. because this is very much a high touch, high contact, uh, interpersonal thing. If you're going to be the person who leads it, that said, I would also encourage parents who would like there to be a micro school to consider founding a micro school and hiring a teacher. So for example, if you've got great organizational skills and you're really good with budgeting and you're really good with planning and you're really good at project management and things like that, as long as you're not going to micromanage them. But I mean, if you want to just set up <laughs> a physical space and you are a pretty good you know, person at judging other people, interview people, whatever, consider pooling you and your 10 friends, you know, whatever, pool your resources and go out and hire a Mercedes. And then you charge the students coming into your micro school and use that pool of funds to pay your teacher. So I think you could start a, a micro school and be in charge of a micro school and not necessarily even be the teacher. Absolutely. Teacher run ones. There could be parent run micro schools. I think the important thing, as you said at the outset, is to think outside that classroom, think outside that system and think exactly. in terms of the job you're trying to get done. I just made a little video today asking parents to think about what is education and to consider that it's not synonymous with schooling, like that you Correct. can go to school for 13 years, 17 years, 20 years, whatever, and not come out educated. Absolutely. Even if you come out being a specialist in some niche area that does that yes. follow that you are educated. You're right. And, and these, that's what's happening is the organic conversations and the exploration of learning and the collaboration about like, oh, I didn't even think about that because most of my higher education has been 100% solo. And I sit in front of a computer and I learn about things and, and it's missing that piece so much when you get to collaborate with others. And that's the beauty of having a micro school with multi-age levels because you get to talk with people that you may not otherwise talk to at all in the public school setting. And right. so it's a beautiful thing. I mean, that the organic learning, the conversations that you can have, the questions you can ask, it's just, it's just incredible. And you're absolutely right. I mean, to get to be educated is so different than having the award of sitting through those 12 grueling years. <laughs> It's grueling, you know? Well, and as I tell people all the time, like your childhood is the shortest period of your life. In terms of life phases, it's the shortest one. And 
we, we sell it in our culture as this awesome time. We sell it as like childhood. It's fantastic. And you know, if you think about it, it ought to be. It's the only time in your life, especially in Western culture, where you know you don't have a lot of re responsibilities, you don't have a lot of ex expectations. Your your goal, your job, is to learn how to live life on planet Earth. You know, like how do I do this thing called living and peopling? Like how do I people? How do I, how do I do that thing? And that really is done best when you have the time and the space and the caring people around you who will guide you to that through that process. So, you know, I tell people also, we're not like raising college students. We're hopefully raising, or as my friend Ray says, rearing, that's what we're supposed to say, yes. rearing, you know, capable, responsible, happy yes. adults. Yes. But are they going to get there if we take their childhood from them and we basically lock them in a building yes. and then tell them to follow orders for 13 years and, you know, ask when they go to the bathroom, ask when they can eat, ask what they can know, what they can't know, what they have to say, what they can't say. And in a micro school setting like what you've created with your you know world wall of wonder and all these things being um, allowed, as well as interacting with other age groups, so you don't get this kind of otherism about people who aren't the same as you, um, you... I think you learn how to people better. You just learn how to do the thing that you're going to then spend the next 60 years of your life doing. Yes. Yes. And hopefully doing a little better each year than you did the year before, but you get, it's not like you get a, a slow ramp up 18 hits guys. And it's a, <laughs> it could be a cold water in the face for some kids. And the more at risk they are, like you said, the more that, cold water is going to hit. So do we want them to arrive at 18 and be like, there's no one telling me where to go at 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. and 10, 10 a.m. You know, it's like, that's not happening. I got to figure it out. Do we want to throw them into the deep end of the pool when they're 18 years of age? Or do we want them to like already be there, like on their way? Absolutely. And feel confident in their choices and confident. In, and yes, I know exactly who I am. I mean, maybe not yet, but I know who I am. I know what things I'm good at. I know my natural talents and abilities. I think that's so important yep. for them getting ready to explore the world as adults. And and without yep. that, without that constant, what do I think? What do I do? Who is going to help me? Who is going to, to guide me anymore and just tell me? that right. It's not even a guide, really. It's just we tell you what to think what to say and then if you go into education it's the exact same thing educators are being told exactly what to think what to say what to teach how to teach it who mm -hmm. to teach it to and we are i mean that world is full of compliance so it's it's very interesting the points that you bring up um and and i'm so thankful for the freedom it feels uh, I, good I, it, I bet it does um and we didn't really talk about this, but I did want to touch on if it's okay with you. Oh, there's a big push lately for what they're calling school choice, um, but it really is kind of a a brand name. It feels like for certain kinds of policy positions that you know take the money the government still already collected, and then say here's some of it back, and you can go do these approved things. And one of the, the things that's happened is I've been getting messages from people who own private schools. So they've started private schools, and they'll say you know, but I'm excited for this and I want to take this money and it's going to give people a chance to come in here. And, and of course my position has been, 
I wouldn't be so quick to do that because as we know from the government system, when there's money that comes directly out of them, there's strings attached to that regulations, oversight, all the things that pushed them to stick a script in your hand. I'm concerned could be, you know, take that freedom away from you and say, well, now you do have to be certified if you're going to accept those payments. Well, now you do have to have, you know, an hour of this and an hour of that and an hour of the other. And it's, you're not going to be considered really a homeschool and so forth and so on. And so I've been cautioning parents and other educators who think like, oh, this is great. This will help pay my bills, whatever. Because I feel like it's just them coming back behind you. It's like yes. you left the back door open. And they're yes. sneaking in in the backpack, you know? <laughs> yes. And and we've been talking about that, too, in as micro school owners about some of the states that are giving back this money to even homeschooling parents. Yep. And it's just another way for the government to creep into your household. Um, I, we were talking about homework even and how... It's not enough to just leave it at school. We have to bring it into your household and, and kind of control what you're doing outside of your school time or your, your learning, your education. And that part is, is very scary, very threatening. And I think it is something to definitely watch out for because I want to know what the intent is. We know it's not good intent. Um, right. And I'm, I'm very curious. I, I do love the thought of people walking away and getting away from public education, but is it, is it walking away if you're taking public funding? Um, it's definitely something to think about and, and to really deeply consider if you're trying to get away from a system that is so broken and that is failing our students um, left and right. Do you really want to be tied into that still? Uh, right. My answer is definitely no. Um, I've already given all that I can give, and uh, I don't think that that is something that is going to turn out in favor of the children. I just don't see that turning right. into to anything that can be positive. I feel like, um, you know, if they have the the will and the capital, the political capital to say, we're going to set up this little infrastructure and hand out this money and set up an auditing process and give you a card and, you know, all the things that would go with it. It's almost like an EBT system, but for schooling, if, if they have the will and the power to do that, why couldn't they just cut the taxes? Absolutely. Why couldn't they just say, here's a new tax credit? Why couldn't they create, you know, tax incentives to people like you? And say, if you go set up a micro school and you create an opportunity for students and you take, you know, uh, X number of students on scholarship a year or whatever, you can take off X amount on your taxes. So in other words, they're not directly controlling you. They're just saying, you go do your thing and then let us know you did it. And then, you know, you can keep your money. Um, those kind of things would tell me someone cares. And that's somebody who says, we want to reduce the government footprint. Okay, we messed up. Mia culpa. We don't do this so very well. Uh, you know, we're going to reduce, we're going to gradually, incrementally reduce how much we're involved in this by doing these things. Then I might be a little less skeptical. But when people go, ah, oh, we're going to give you, we're going to grant you, we're going to fund you, then I'm like, mm -hmm. 
I don't know. That feels mm-hmm. a little like a, one of those weird gifts where you're like not so sure you should accept it because it comes with a receipt. You know? Yes, yes. That's, like, that's that's how. And you know, even if you tell me like it was my money and I paid it in taxes, like yeah, I know. But so how about don't steal from me in the first place? Yeah. How about how about do that? You know, that would be Absolutely. better. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, hang on one second. Okay. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, it's okay. my husband. Now we got to get the cat out. So um, anyway, um, there was something else I wanted to ask you. Okay. So we got that and the school choice thing and the micro school thing. And um, I guess that's really about it. I mean, that, that kind of covers it. I just want to encourage everybody watching to do what Mercedes is suggesting, like think outside the box, think about what you want to give your children. And, you know, it's not schooling, it's an education, right? Absolutely. And it's not necessarily a particular type of education. I'm going to repeat that. So I have no person, I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> um, and it's not necessarily a specific type of education. It's more like a, an approach of a way of thinking, a, a process. So these kids are going to come out of your program excited to learn. And they're still going to be who they are. Like they're, you're not trying to shape who they are. You're just trying to nurture who they're trying to become. Right. Absolutely. That, and, that hits it on the head. Yeah. So that's really the fundamental difference, right? And we used to know that we would consider it, in fact, sort of a little bit of an abusive parent, the parent who was like projecting onto their child and saying like, I want you to be this kind of person, or I want you to grow up and do, 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 do whatever. We'd be like, ew, why are you doing that? You know, like, <laughs> let them be who they're going to be, right? And we would know that that's an overbearing parent. That's a, this kind of parent. That's a, And yet that's what the schools are doing. We want you to be an activist or we want, you know, you got to be this identity or this group of identity, label yourself, put all these labels on yourself instead of just saying, who are you? I don't know. That's mm-hmm. for you to decide. Not my, that's not my gig as a teacher. Um, in fact, I'm overstepping in the extreme if I try to imagine that I already know just mm-hmm. by looking at you, just by judging what neighborhood you live in or what your parents do for a living or anything like that. I can't, I can't stand the presumptuousness of it all. There's so many assumptions that are being made. And like I said, it just, it flies in the face of everything people are claiming. Like we care, we want to help, we want to deal with trauma, we want to deal with this. And like, but you're doing all the things opposite of what a person would do if a person exactly. really wanted to do those things. Whereas what it sounds like you're doing, I'm listening to you describe your setting and what you've done and what, how you're going to approach things. And I'm like, yeah, that's consistent with, as a mom, if I'm leaving my child someplace all day, that's who I want around my kid. Because if it can't be me, I don't want to have to hope that the other person is doing minimal harm. That's yes. not a hope you should have each day. That's not how you get through your day mentally sound. <sighs> you get through your day mentally sound knowing that the person I'm leaving my kid with has respect for me as a parent, meaning that it's my role, not theirs. Um, yes. Respect for my child as a unique little new individual who's just forming and just understands forming. they've got to keep like extra distance. Like there's a certain amount of emotional distance you have to keep from that so you don't accidentally inadvertently direct 
mm-hmm. that development, just like we parents have to do. We parents have to gut check ourselves all the time. All like, time. <laughs> how much am I saying this because it's what I think? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because it's what it's the right thing to do, you know? So I'm just so excited for you. It sounds like you're going, you're off to a wonderful start. I'll be really excited to follow up with you, you know, maybe mid-year and see how it's going, you know, yes. ways we could do a follow-up and see how, you know, what have you learned? What could you pass on to other people as far as, because there's going to be things you learn, even when you're a new teacher, the things you learn each year, like, well, you know, that was, yes. I might do that a little differently, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and as a homeschool parent too. Oh, that was the, the final thing. Tell me if this resonates or you agree with this. Mm-hmm. I was talking to somebody today on the phone and she told me, that when she first realized she had to homeschool her children, had to pull her kids out, she was absolutely terrified. And the reason was that she had grown up believing that homeschooling is how you wreck your kids. That like the only thing she'd ever known about homeschooling was that people were like isolated and they were like religiously indoctrinated or whatever. Like she had this terrible vision of it. So she thought I'm about to ruin my children, but I don't know what else to do because I can't leave them where they are because it's literally harmful, you know? And she was so scared and she was searching around. Luckily she found a mentor. She found somebody who was an experienced homeschooler to help her through. She said, I don't know what I would have done without that. And so I'm very thankful to the person who was her mentor that did that. But I would like to, to send out a message to people watching this and maybe you can add on to it that please don't beat yourself up and please don't expect perfection from yourself. As, as Mercedes has said, you know, the schools are doing far less than perfect and you were leaving your kid there every day, <laughs> you know, so yes. the, you cannot, you really would have to work hard at it to do worse. Mm-hmm. You would yes. have to yes. really make it a full time job. And on top of that, your child is a natural born learner. Kids come into this world, I don't care who they're even special needs kids come into this world, grasping for knowledge and growth at whatever level they're capable. And so you really have one fundamental job and that's to love your children, just to meet them where they are and love them and see if you can find ways to help them become who they're going to become. And don't fuss too much over, is this the perfect curriculum or is that the right book or is this the right thing? You know, you're going to, you're going to be okay. And even if you start off doing absolutely nothing, but just getting to know your child again, and limiting the tech, but <laughs> while you do it, <laughs> I think you're going to be okay. What do you think? I mean, what yeah. would you add to that to parents to just let them know that they have what they need? Yes. Well, I will say 100% parents, you have what you need. Build the relationship with your child. Don't overthink Don't go out and spend hundreds of dollars on a curriculum that may or may not work. Find out who your children is, what makes them light up. Um, A lot of parents sometimes worry even about the relationship. Like my kid doesn't listen to me. They don't want to learn from me, but find out what makes them tick. What are they interested in? Find other parents that are also in the same boat. There are so many quote unquote normal homeschooling parents. There are so many kids that are excited to meet new friends. Socialization is or lack thereof is not a thing anymore. I would prefer 
a small group of kids to socialize than to get the toxic socialization that happens at school. And, and we have control over that and we can foster that. I think it's, it's really important to get to know your child and, and just to really hone in on what makes them happy, what is interesting to them, what kinds of little things are they doing that you could talk about? Like, hey, this is a cool sentence. Let's start a story together. And you build a story together. You write one, they write the other. There are so many different things. But really just use the resources that are already there. Human right. resources, technological resources. There are so many things. But the, the, the new world of education is waiting and luckily there are so many people that have been the light and that have paved the way. And I would encourage anybody that is on the fence or feeling discouraged or anxious or even frustrated to reach out to other people and just, you know, a simple Google search, a simple search on Facebook, those things can be so encouraging, but there are so many people that are in the same boat and yeah. I think it is very very possible to make this happen in a beautiful beautiful way a beautiful way well I'm excited for you thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your wisdom and your exciting news with all of us and to those watching and listening uh, thank you. Please consider giving us a like and a share with other parents who need to have this information um, you know, ask questions, reach out to me. Um, we'll put some information for Mercedes in the description box. So if you can, you know, if you want to ask where she got her information, we can talk about that, but thank you all for coming. And I hope everybody has a great rest of your week. Thank you thank so you much. Thank you for having me, Deb. You're so welcome.